0: will be in Deuteronomy ten fourteen for a smaller section. So if you like to be able to see or read along, that's where you head. Remember that Deuteronomy is set up as Moses talking to the people of Israel, preparing them for life together in the promised land. It takes their experiences and weaves them into their story. Who are they? The answer is always found in light of the character of God. Who are they? Yahweh's people. Their identity is found in God's identity. They know themselves better as they know God better, both who God is and what God has done because God acts in accordance with their character. As a relevant aside here, you may have noticed that at Pomona Valley Church, we often say God's name, Yahweh, like the name that is in Hebrew. When LORD is in all caps in an English Bible, that's why, it's meant to respect God's name and tell us as a reader that the Hebrew is Yahweh. God names themself to Moses, I am, I will be where I will be. This is actually part of the practical monotheism that Israel was developing and Curtis spoke to last sermon. This unique named God of ours is the only one we trust and follow and obey. Over time, the people of Israel begin to grow in the understanding that this God is so great. And even if those others are real, they are no rivals. So we use the name together here because we need the same reminder. Not much has changed, really. We are part of a polytheistic world where you can say God, but that doesn't mean Yahweh. In fact, most people keep the word, but actually mean far off spirit being who should mainly keep me happy and safe if I'm basically a good person. That's a God, but not our God. We don't say Yahweh arrogantly, like we're the ones who actually know all about who God is. We say it humbly and gratefully. There is a specific God among all the options, and we are practicing living together in a way that aligns with their character and their actions. Our values as a church, for instance, they're all responses to who God is. Openness, practices that help us notice and respond to what God is doing, is based on how God is personal. Active and moving. Authenticity, bringing our regular imperfect selves to each other and God, is based on God being both gracious and the transformer of the human heart. Relationship, connecting to people in conversation over and over, phones down, faces up. It's rooted in how God is relational as a being and toward humanity. Diversity, honoring the image of God in those who are different than ourselves is rooted in God's stamp upon every human being, imago Dei, made in God's own image. And sacrifice, living open-handedly with what we have, sharing it, at times in ways that are even costly, is rooted in a God who sacrificed, coming in Jesus, choosing humanity over heaven. So if you've ever noticed that we say the name Yahweh, it's a practice of remembering that we aren't pursuing some vague idea of goodness or the divine We are trying to be a group aligned with this specific God and this specific story. Now, this section in Deuteronomy 10, it's structured in a way that's oriented around who God is and what God's done. And then what does that mean for the people and who they are? It's a back and forth. God is, so we. God is, so we. And it closes with God is again. So starting in Deuteronomy 10, 14, we hear, To Yahweh your God belongs the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth, and everything in it. Yet Yahweh set their affection on your ancestors and loved them. And they chose you, their descendants, above all the nations, as it is today. Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. Who is Yahweh God? The one who is not only great over all creation, but specifically loving to Israel. And the response? Circumcise your heart which is not a totally clear image at first and might even seem like some sort of ancient surgery we don't want to watch. But circumcision is the mark of belonging to God's people, of being in this chosen nation. You don't choose it. It is a gift given to you from birth. It's a symbol of grace. The heart in the ancient world is not part of being loving or affectionate. It's not emotional. Instead, the heart is an organ of volition. It's where choices get made, intentions get set, So to circumcise one's heart is to choose, to decide to join with God's people, not in a membership status way, got my belong to Israel card here, but in an act like the people of Yahweh God sort of way. It's participatory, sort of like how I could join a yoga studio, but I'm not really a yogi unless I show up and actually bend around a little bit. Or in seminary, I did an internship at this really neat church in Los Angeles who talked about their membership by saying, oh, you're a member of our church when you adjust your pronouns. This is my church. We are having a group meetup and so on. That's kind of the idea here too. To circumcise your heart is to say, we are the people who follow the ways our God set for us. There are echoes of this when Jesus's cousin, John the Baptist, shows up in Matthew 3 Baptism was usually for the Gentiles, a way to show that they wanted to join the Jewish people. But John comes to the Jews and tells them it's time to be baptized as a symbol of turning back to God. And the leaders show up, totally confident that they already belong. Thank you very much. And John says this You brood of vipers who warned beautifully from the coming wrath, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. You can claim the ancestors, but unless you have the fruit of actually living in a way that aligns with God's character, you don't actually belong. Baptism was a symbol akin to circumcising your heart. It was the intention of actually living like the people of God, not just sitting back and saying, I'm a member of the group, but changing the ways you show that you belong to God and each other. Now, I actually want us to jump to verse 21 here. This is the closing pass back at God's own character in action. It's the bookend of the section. And here's what it says. Yahweh is the one you praise. They are your God who performed for you these great and awesome wonders you saw with your own eyes. Your ancestors who went down into Egypt were 70 in all. And now Yahweh your God has made you as numerous as the stars in the sky. Deuteronomy is so much more than rules to obey. This is about the great story. You are God's people, chosen and dearly loved, rescued from slavery in Egypt. Though you were enslaved, orphaned, widowed, foreign, God was with you. And now, for the first time, you will be free, settled, stable in your own land. How should you be together in light of who God is? And now we'll jump back to chapter 10, verse 17 the middle section of this God is, so you, God is, so you, God is pattern. And we'll see in that some of the answer. Yahweh, your God, is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. So like the opposite of the Olympic Committee. Deuteronomy 10, 14 and 17 speak of God's character, greatness, amazing wonders, They reflect a familiar refrain in the ancient Near East. A deity who's higher than the heavens, great, mighty, and awesome. Now after establishing who this God is who reigns, the next section will be about who that God shines on. Want to take a guess? Who basks in the glow of the almighty God in most other ancient texts? If you guessed that person was likely the king, you are right. This is always a move from the God to the king so the people can be told to do what the king says. What about here? What about Yahweh? God shines with greatness. Who is covered in the glow of this wondrous God? Verse 18. God defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. And you are to love those who are foreigners, for you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. Fear Yahweh your God and serve them. Hold fast to God and take your oaths in their name. Though you were enslaved, orphaned, widowed, and foreign, you shone in the light of my glory, God says. And now for the first time, when you are free, settled, stable, and in your own land, my glory will shine on the most vulnerable in your community. And if you care for them like I cared for you when it was you, you will live in light of who I am. One scholar notes that economic vulnerability is how the Israelites first became slaves. So protecting the orphans, widows, and foreigners keeps them from that economic vulnerability. It's early intervention to keep them safe. Sometimes you'll see the word orphan instead of fatherless in an English translation, But one reason to choose fatherless is that we tend to think of orphans as children. But in a patriarchal culture, losing the father made the adult women vulnerable as well. It's not just about the kids. It's also women being protected. So every category of vulnerable people are included here. You know, my kids have a buddy who tends to control the way they play. He's the boss of the game. You kind of have to do it his way. Every now and then after playing with this kid, I'll watch my own kids turn and try to take over as they play. They're so tired of feeling powerless, and so they claim some power. It's a small example, but it points to something deeply true. It is both difficult and rare to do what God is asking of us here. Remember when you were the victim? Don't victimize. Remember when you were the oppressed? Don't become oppressors. Remember how terribly you were treated in Egypt? Let that memory set boundaries about who you will not be. The ones who have nothing to offer in a power-based system offer something incredibly important to Israel in this moment. Because so often, hurt hardens. But instead, God asks that they protect the vulnerable, knowing that if they do, it will form them in a key way It will let what they suffered make them compassionate. God shines with greatness, and the fatherless, widowed, and foreigners are covered with the glow. When we move then towards them, we find ourselves aligning with Yahweh God, becoming who we were made to be. When we were together live, we practiced something called Visio Divina, Divine Vision, It's a practice of having a piece of art available and to quietly contemplate what God might be saying to us as we take that art in. You might be familiar with a practice called Lectio Divina, where you take the written word of God and you hear it spoken aloud many times over slowly so that you can listen to God through the passage. This is like that, only it's visual, which is different for many of us. If you visit Pomona Valley Church on Instagram, you can see four icons that we use together. If you'd like to, set a timer for eight minutes or so. Take in each image for two minutes on its own and simply ask God, what do you have for me when it comes to vulnerable people that I might encounter in my life, in the world? What God do you have for me? And you can see what comes up as you contemplate those images as well. A blessing that Yahweh God offered the people from Numbers chapter 6. May Yahweh bless you and keep you. May Yahweh make their face shine on you and be gracious to you. May Yahweh turn their face toward you and give you peace. Today and always. Amen.